CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, December 14th starts now. Today on the show, Ben welcomes back a good friend. You know him, you love him, Terry Cosgrove. The Ben Jarofsky Show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, I know you want to check out that top story about opioids and the CTA. It's it's a heart-wrenching one, so you're going to want to have a tissue nearby. So make sure you check that out all at ChicagoReader.com. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, you can find him there too. It's just a simple chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-B is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Closing Argument Thursday, and here's why. Because it's the closing argument in the Ed Burke corruption trial. That's why. Today's bright one, home delivered as always. So my distinguished guest, T.C., but I do get the Sun-Times. I am propping up that empire. You're welcome, Sun-Times. Well, a little less biased coverage out of City Hall. I'll get into that another time. Really unfair to Brandon Johnson, in my humble opinion. Anyway, let me focus on the Ed Burke corruption trial. I've been following it passionately. We've been doing updates. Uh, Adolfo Mondragon, in my humble opinion, provides the best analysis of the Ed Burke trial. He used to work for Burke. He was in the belly of the beast. He knows how the man operates. Uh, and uh, we'll probably bring Adolfo back uh, uh, to analyze the closing uh, arguments. Um, the prosecutor had so much information, so much information about Burke's corruption uh, that it's going on to a second day. Uh, and uh, John Seidel and the bright one, and uh, Mariah Wolfel uh, from BEZ, they're tag teaming on their coverage, uh, pointed out this. Um, it's been a grueling task. I'm quoting from them, of explaining to a jury of nine women and three men how the evidence they've heard from 36 government witnesses over 16 days, 36 government witnesses over 16 days fits together and supports the sweeping indictment leveled in 2019. 2019, but four years for this case to come to court. Four years for this case to come to trial. He's been dragging it out and dragging it out. And his defense lasted, I don't know, two days. The, his attorney was yelling at Danny Solis. He thought that would do the trick. I don't think it did the trick. I hate to say it, just yelling at Danny Solis is going to do the trick. Uh, anyway, I my distinguished guest is the legendary political uh, strategist, activist, pain in the neck, troublemaker uh, for abortion rights, um, Terry Cosgrove. And I say this every time he comes on the show, the man's pain in the neck, yes. But ladies and gentlemen, the reason abortion... Uh, is legal uh, in Illinois. The reason we have sanity in the in the state of Illinois in this issue is thanks um, to a large degree to this young man that I'm looking at right here. 40 years, I think he was on the front line to this issue, pushing, forcing, nudging, driving people crazy. That's what it takes, Dems. I hope you, this is, that's what it takes. And the reason why I'm going to tie uh, Terry Cosgrove to, um, Ed Burke is this. It's a very personal story. So in Terry Cosgrove's world, the only issue that matters is abortion rights. That's his world, basically. That's his professional world. That's his number one driving force. I mean, he cares about other things, but his driving force is abortion rights. All right. And um, has been on the front lines, like I said, since the 80s. So throughout the 90s and into the O's, this guy used to make fun of me all the time for my TIFF coverage, which is so ironic. You would think a guy who's obsessive about an issue would appreciate somebody else who's obsessive about it. But no, not TC. He wanted me to be writing out of abortion rights 24 hours a day. Enough of that tip coverage, Ben. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Terry Cosgrove. 
Terry Cosgrove discovers tips. I'll explain how it happened. Rahm Emanuel totally betrayed uh, the uh, pro-choice movement. Totally betrayed the to- pro-choice movement by allocating about, I forget, it was $15 million. I think it was to some anti-abortion. By my, my bad. Thank you, Terry Cosgrove. The mind is, as a, it, it hasn't gone soft yet, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he couldn't tell you who played the uh, wife in the movie Maestro, even though we saw it two weeks ago. But Terry Mulligan. Well, Okay, let's we'll have to edit that out. Uh, anyway, nothing ever gets edited on the Bender Option Show. Um, so five million dollars, five million dollar handouts, some anti-abortion uh, outfit. Uh, it was opposed, by the way, by the local alderman Brendan Riley. So this is for all you people out there who are so naive as to think that aldermen truly run the zoning and their wards and local matters. You guys are so naive. You bought into a narrative. <laughs> a lot of you lefties bought into this too. Anyway, Rom said, I don't care what Brendan Riley said. Ed Burke, who was the finance chair, we're bringing it all together. He said, I don't care what Brendan Riley said. I don't care about local control. I don't care about automated prerogative. I don't care if this violates all of our pledges about how we're so pro-choice. We're giving money to this anti-abortion, uh, anti-choice outfit anyway. And Chicago, you're going to have to suck it up because we're I'm the finance chair and Rom, my little pal, is the mayor, and we call the shots. And I got to give Terry Cosgrove credit, man. This dude said, no way, not on my watch. And all of a sudden, he discovered tips, and he's writing me emails. Ben, you got to write something about this. Ben, it's Tiff. <laughs> oh, my God. We lost that one. I'm Rom. Wait, wait. Okay, can I jump in now? All right, Terry Cosgrove, the floor yeah. is Go. Um, because it was such a, it was the closest vote Rom ever had as mayor, and because we raised such hell over it, the President's Healthcare rejected taking the money because it was so controversial. So in the end, we did win, even if we lost the vote, we won the war. And by the way, I just want to say, as long as you're bringing up TIFF and presence, um, did you notice that sometimes had a sentence in one of the articles yesterday, the day before, that Tom Tunney was sitting in the courtroom in support yeah. of Ed Burke? I thought of you, Ben. Your friend, Tom Tunney. Here he is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, more background. Tommy Tunney, former alderman for years and years and years of the 44th Ward, did whatever the mayor said. And for Rob Daly. Uh, what a puppet he was. There was a song back in the 60s that Terry remembers. He loved that song. Um, yo, puppet. Ooh, ooh. And uh, that is Tommy Tunney. Uh, anyway, uh, Tom Tunney, another allegedly pro-choice uh, guy, voted for the anti-abortion outfit. Oh, my God. I don't think Terry Cosgrove will ever forgive Tom Tunney. Never. 44th Ward is the most liberal, one of the most liberal North Side Wards, uh, North Lakefront Wards in the world. I bet you it's 90% pro-choice, and their aldermen voted with the right-to-life crowd. Shame, shame, shame on Tunney, Burke, and Rahm Emanuel there. All right, uh, that's ancient history, as Terry told me before the show. But it's never ancient. It's never forgotten, T. And here's how it ties together. Because this is, I am now going to tie those ancient lessons with the lesson of the day. So Terry Cosgrove, retired executive director, a personal PAC, is still very active in the movement, still very committed uh, to electing pro-choice politicians throughout the country, not just the state of Illinois, including the president's race. Yeah, let's not forget that race uh, in 2024. I submit to you, young Terry, that what was on display when Rahm and Ed Burke and Tom Tunney sold out, sold out the abortion rights movement, and that TIF deal is what's on the dis- has been on display by uh, so-called supporters of pro-choice movements since the seventies, and they're slowly learning their lesson. But they're very slow. They actually like try to draw a false equivalence between someone like you and someone like Joe Scheidler, who was the, the, the rabid anti-abortion. Uh, activists here in Illinois. They always try to say, oh, well, you can meet the Republicans in the middle ground where they support abortion rights. Then you wake up and you see what's going on in Texas. And I just say, you know what? Terry Cosgrove was right. He's a pain in the neck, but he was right. You can't believe them when they talk about how they're 
looking for a middle ground in uh, the abortion argument. They're trying to outlaw it, and their next move is to uh, throw women into jail for seeking an abortion. That's how I see it. The floor is yours. Take it away, Terry Cosgrove. Thank you, Ben. It's an honor to be back in my uh, in, in my semi-retirement role. But um, you're absolutely right. And um, the sad part is the anti-abortion movement has been telling people quite openly since almost since the day Roe was decided that they wanted to see all uh, abortion outlawed and unavailable for all women under all circumstances for all time. I mean, you didn't have to look very far. Um, they had it on their websites, they had it everywhere. And the first um, horrible strategic mistake that was made um, was when the Hyde Amendment got uh, was put into place, which was one of the most cruel, obscene um, actions that I think the United States Congress ever took, which was to take away Medicaid funding, which was the source of low-income women's health care, take away Medicaid funding for abortion care, which forced low-income women to seek uh, back alley abortions and um, and come up with money that they had to take from their existing children's um, clothing and school and food and paying rent and utilities in order to scrape together the money to have an abortion. And there was barely a, barely a glitch from from the press, from the pro choice movement in general, and from the population in general because. Like you said, the idea was, well, if we just give them a little, then they will, then they'll be satisfied. And somehow they were magically going to go away. And so we fast forward to this week when uh, what happened in Texas. And um, I have to say that I'm surprised that people are surprised. Like if you're surprised by what happened in Texas, you either have bought the lies of the anti-abortion movement or you haven't been paying attention because all along they have fought tooth and nail for, first of all, they said that um, back 20 years ago, you could not find an anti-abortion bill, including the Hyde Amendment, that didn't have an exception for rape and incest. They thought that that was so extreme for the public, not for themselves. And I think that's where the separation comes in. What they, what they like the public to project, which is what you were talking about, and what their real agenda is are totally different things. And because the, all they do is lie all the time and they'll say, well, we want exceptions for rape and incest. We want exceptions for a woman's life. We want exceptions for a woman's health. That was 20 years ago. And then we keep moving towards, and then when it got close to overturning Roe v. Wade, they said, oh, all we want to do is send it back to the 50 states. We, ju we just don't think that it should be a national issue. It should go back to the 50 states. And almost before the ink had dried <laughs> on the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, they were busy plotting to make abortion illegal on the federal level with various bans and, of course, um, anti-choice uh, senators, uh, Republican senators, which is pretty much all of them. And U.S. Congress people, all of them are anti-choice, um, started cooking up six-week ban, federal six-week bans, 15-week bans. And what that's about, that means the state of Illinois, where the people in the state have voted over and over and over and over. I've been there for it, so I know this, for pro-choice candidates, pro-choice legislators, pro-choice governors, pro-choice attorney generals, all of a sudden won't count. Because they they've decided um, that they're going to they're going to take this on federally. So where we are today is that the agenda and I am, you know, I I'm obviously devastated by what happened to this woman in Texas and in uh, so many other women in Texas and in Tennessee and Kentucky and all these right wing states who are really having their health and lives uh, put at risk every single day. Um, for a variety of reasons, but I'm glad that the um, I'm glad that the country is paying attention uh, to what's going on because that was really the problem that we had is that the, is that too many people are buying the anti-abortion lies, which is that's what they were. They were ball-faced lies about what they really stood for, and you can go to most of their websites and they'll tell you that the birth control pill is a murder weapon. They believe that the birth control pill 
The IUD is the taking of a human life and it should be treated no separately uh, than abortion. All right, let's, um, let's just back up for a moment before I take a deeper dive in some of the points that you made, uh, particularly the point about the real agenda uh, as opposed to uh, the one that they sell uh, to the public with the assistance, I would like to say, of the mainstream media. Right. Uh, and uh, let's just be honest about it. Um, uh, so, uh, and talk about what ha- went down in Texas with uh, Kate Cox, who uh, was seeking an abortion. It's, sometimes, T, I think about this. I, I was just, I'm like, I walk in and I think about how many judges intervened uh, into a decision between uh, Kate Cox and her, and her doctors uh, on what are health care for her. Okay. And it like the attorney uh, general of Texas, Kenny Paxton, uh, the state Supreme Court, you know, like it's so surreal. It's straight up out of Orwell. Uh, and it's everything Republicans say they're against like a total encroachment on the liberty and rights of a human being just completely violates all their supposedly sacrosanct principles. So why don't you just take a little moment to explain what's going on in Texas? Just Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. This woman had a pregnancy that um, she was, she went to an emergency room at least four times, maybe more since the last time I read. And I know she left the state and went to have an abortion somewhere else because she couldn't get one in the state of Texas. Uh, but she basically had, was carrying a fetus that um, that had no chance of living uh, once it was uh, once it was delivered. It was threatening her health. It was threatening her life, and it put at serious risk her um, her future fertility in order to have a third child. She and her husband already have two kids. They wanted a third one. This is very much a wanted pregnancy, um, and uh, and so she she filed a lawsuit. And um, had the had the first judge, the circuit court judge, I think it was, um, declare that the law that she was able to get the abortion. Then Ken Paxton, the attorney general, jumped in and sent the most scathing letter to all the hospitals in Texas, saying if they dared perform an abortion for her, he would prosecute them. And then uh, and then appealed to the. Uh, Texas Supreme Court, and one of the nine justices on the Texas Supreme Court has been arrested 37 times, 37 times for outside of abortion clinics for protesting and trying to prevent women from getting in there. This is a guy that's sitting on the elected Texas Supreme Court who was part of the decision, and he actually had the gall with a straight face to say that he could be objective in in this case. So I mean, I wish I could tell you that this Texas situation and all the other women is the, um, you know, is the end of the story. It isn't the end of the story. They want to put every single doctor in jail um, who dares to perform an abortion. They want to charge them and give them the death penalty. We're seeing laws introduced around the country. And furthermore, they want to see a women arrested. And there was a bill in Missouri. There, um, that said that um, any woman that got an abortion would be subject to murder and would receive the death penalty. They also have the bounty law um, in Texas. So it's not outside the question. And the bounty law means anyone in any citizen of Texas can file a civil lawsuit and get up to $100,000 of damages for reporting anyone that has had an abortion or that assisted someone in an abortion. So I would not be surprised if uh, she she returns to Texas and she and her husband and anyone else that helped her, presumably the lawyer who went to court, um, would, are all going to have a, uh, a lawsuit filed against them. They'll have to appear in court. So I don't think we've seen the end of this, but it, it gets to the point that I made originally. The Your listeners, the American public, has to come to terms what a radical, um, authoritarian, anti-democracy movement, this anti-abortion movement is and has been. And the fact that the American public has not did not pay attention until Roe v. Wade was overturned and then did not pay attention as everything is unraveling even more. This is not the end. This is only the beginning. And any, you know, even today with all the evidence that we have, 
I have people come up to me and say, Terry, they're never going to go after birth control. And I just have to laugh. They already have. They've been, they, they've introduced They've introduced bills and state legislature after state legislature in order to um, eliminate all funding for birth control, uh, not to mention what's going on with uh, sex education and lying. I mean, we can, we're not going to go there today, but um, so they're not done. You can look at for criminal penalties, you, you can look for people going to jail, uh, you can look for people being prosecuted, and you can look for other states to introduce laws to to provide for the death penalty. So I hope that everyone is paying attention and um, I don't wanna jump ahead here, but this November with this 2024 election, um, we are looking at either the world as we know it is going to end if, uh, if Joe Biden is not reelected as president. And that's the only issue that's on the table here. If Donald Trump is reelected, all of the, the, your worst nightmares, the draconian actions that are going on right now are going to get ramped up. We're going to see more of this and we're going to see the end of our democracy. So I, so if anyone is interested in not having that happen, um, there is a thing that pollsters do called the margin of error. And that means that um, an election is going to be decided within a certain range of one or two or three or four um, percentage points. This election for president is going to be decided by very few votes in several swing states. And so what I encourage people to do is don't pay attention to the margin of error because that is really less important than the margin of effort. And what the margin of effort is, is the effort that we all put into making sure that Donald Trump is defeated and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are reelected. Put everything else aside because the only thing, and you know, I never thought I would the day would ever come. But I guess if Rachel Maddow can agree agree with Liz Cheney about something, I can too. Um, <laughs> the, the only thing that matters on uh, this coming November is making sure that Donald Trump does not grab the levers of power again. That's it. Uh, everything else is, and and I just want to finish up. I honestly thought to myself in two thousand when Ralph Nader caused um, George Bush to be elected uh, because of Ralph Nader and the 530 votes that separated uh, Al Gore and Ralph Nader in Florida. I thought, okay, people will never be that stupid again. Never. And, and then fast forward to 2016, and here we go. Okay. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton. Okay. I, wait, wait, wait I, I, no, no, let me finish. Let me finish. Okay, I never, I'm gonna, okay go ahead. Yeah. Go I ahead. never, I never thought people would be that stupid again <laughs> to not support the Democratic nominee after the June 7, 2016 convention in California. And what happened? You know, Susan Sarandon and, you know, all the other clowns out there, uh, <laughs> out, out there made sure that Hillary Clinton didn't win. We got Donald Trump. So I thought in 2016, it could never happen again. Here we are in 2024. And, and people are griping and gnashing their teeth and spinning in circles about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and this and that, rather than digging in, doing the work. So here's what I want to finish with. I want every single person listening yeah. to this show to wake up every single morning and say, what's the one thing I can do today to help? And that might be sending emails to everyone that you know who you think might not be registered to vote. That could be making a contribution. That When the weather gets a little better in the Midwest, although I don't know that we'll ever have winter again now, but uh, volunteer in a campaign. Um, if you live close to the Wisconsin border, we have to win at Wisconsin. Let's let's get some volunteers up there. So my point is there's something everyone can do every single day to save our democracy. And that's what we all need to do. Every morning, wake up and say, what, what's the one thing or two things, if you want to be generous, I can do today to help. All right. That's, so that's I... My, that's okay. my closing argument. Ben. All right. That's your closing argument, which, which went on longer than the closing argument that the feds use in the Burke trial. All right. Now, let me just say this. I do not want to relitigate 2000 or 2016. No. Although no. the temptation is strong. The temptation is always strong. As Terry knows, I'm always capable 
of just re-engaging in an argument that's been going on for 40 years, okay? So, all right, but I must say this, all right? I must, I feel compelled. I personally disagree with Terry on his analysis 2000. I do not, quote, unquote, blame, unquote, uh, lefty voters for George Bush's victory over Gore uh, in the state of Florida. Those lefties who voted for Nader would not, under any circumstances, have voted for Al Gore. They're not. They're impervious to the arguments uh, that uh, you make, Terry. They don't care about your arguments. They have a completely different worldview. Uh, you may. They don't see the world the way that you see it. And if an election comes, and I know out, they're, and they're stupid, but go oh, ahead. Okay. Well. <laughs> You're talking about many people in my family. <laughs> we got the Iraq War, thank you. I <laughs> uh, well, I don't know that. Okay, yeah, there's, that, uh, there's a lot of dead Iraqis that don't see the world the way they do. Okay, so I'm not quite certain. Uh, now we don't want to relitigate the Iraq no, War, but uh, I, there was a lot of Democratic support for the Iraqi War. I hate to say it in those early days, uh, in early stages, including a certain mayor in the city of Chicago who was waving the flag for Bush. All right, but. Uh, and a certain uh, set, uh, presidential candidate in 2016. Uh, in fact, I will submit to you that the reason Barack Obama defeated that candidate, Hillary Clinton, in 2008 was because he did oppose the Iraqi war in uh, 2000. All right. Neither here than there. I'm, okay. I, I going to relitigate it. <laughs> we'll move on. Okay. We're going to move on. Well, well, a whole other time. When I bump into Terry outside uh, another movie, We'll really get it in the lobby of uh, the movie theater. Because I tell people all the time who have complaints with me, I say, judge me by the results, well, not how we got there. So, so right, go ahead. All right. Ahead. So now let's move on to uh, Republican messaging on the issue of abortion. Uh, and um, we've talked about this in the show a lot, not with you, but uh, with David Ferris and others. Uh, and I, I've watched, I actually watched the Republican <laughs> It's an embarrassment. I watched the Republican presidential debates, even though uh, Donald Trump is not on the stage, uh, because I'm sorry, folks, there's other politics outside of Donald Trump. So apparently most of America will only watch if Trump's in. Uh, and um, I'm watching the maneuvering. Trump is, does this the same, not just on the debate stage, of Nikki Haley and Donald Trump on this issue. Uh, and there are some Republicans who are just out, at least are honest, they say up front, we're against abortion. We're going to do everything we can to outlaw it. Uh, and Mike Pence, for one, okay, uh, mm-hmm. says that. DeSantis, more or less, uh, says, says that, more or less. He's a little uh, fuzzy-wuzzy. But what Nikki Haley, the uh, former governor of uh, South Carolina, uh, and Donald Trump, which is so bizarre, him doing it, they try to weasel their way out with a messaging that makes it seem as though they're not going to uh, lead the charge to take away uh, a woman's right to choose and outlaw abortion. Uh, and that they have what? They're not going to uh, just like, like wave the flag on this issue. And I think it's just an attempt on their part to take it off the table. Just like, just so like they, they've seen the, the election results over the last year since Dobbs, uh, Terry. Uh, and so they just want to, like, diffuse it and take it off the issue and say it's not something you should worry about. Uh, talk a little bit about that strategy of the uh, Nikki Haley uh, and, to a lesser extent, Donald Trump and uh, how successful you think it would be. Go ahead. Sure. Um, ben, the only thing I want to add to it before I respond is I don't know if you saw um, – uh, Ted Cruz and the other senator, Texas senator's response to the, when being questioned about the Texas case, Ted Cruz said, call the, call my press office five times to reporters who asked him, he said, call my press office, call my press office. The same thing with, with Cornyn. He said the same thing. I have no comment. Call my press office. Wow. I mean, they are, they are scared to death of this issue. And I and I've also heard reporting behind the scenes they are furious with the uh, with the attorney general of Texas for for blowing this thing up for them because you know they do you're right they want to obfuscate they want they want to get out 
get out from under the question as, uh, as quickly as possible. You know, the problem is, is that there are these things called facts. And, and uh, you know, and Nikki Haley can do all the word salad she wants. And what really irritates me to no end um, is that she, she uses that her husband is adopted. So she understands um, how wrong abortion is. And it's like, they have nothing to do with each other. She's, in fact, I, I want to talk to some friends in the pro-choice movement I know who are adopted to kind of try to take her out on that because that is so offensive uh, to even relate the two issues. But at any rate, you're right. They, they since Dobbs, they had, you know, they loved it when they could say, I mean, the, the line for years up until Roe was overturned is Roe v. Wade's the law of the land. And until that, until that changes, I'm not going to comment. So they, they, they made themselves seem reasonable because they wanted to sound like if you listen to it, not carefully enough that they supported Roe v. Wade, uh, but they, so they didn't have to take a position. Now that um, Roe v. Wade's been overturned, they're, they're backed into a corner and each of them has had to figure out how they're going to respond to it. And, um, and Nikki Haley has, you know, has this word salad that she comes up with that we're never going to find the votes in the Senate. And, you know, it almost changes by the day. And then Donald Trump, you cannot figure out what he's saying about it. The, the problem for both of them is they are they are on record in so many cases of saying that they applauded what the Supreme Court did. They were in favor of it. Uh, Donald Trump brags that he appointed the three justices that did it. So in the end, they're going to be held accountable. And so I think, you know, the calling them out on their lies is all we can do right now. But once the campaign gets closer and we find out who the nominee is, then then you're going to see Nikki Haley signed a six week abortion ban in South Carolina on a, you know, on a, on a roll. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> going forward, or Donald Trump, which I think is more likely to be the nominee at this point, unless something else happens, which I don't see it happening. But uh, well, more or less uh, consistent argument that the the Republicans that Mag is putting out on the issue of abortion uh, is, and 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 Terry's absolutely right. It's like a dance, so they have. They're, it's very delicate because. Um, the cult in the Republican Party that opposes abortion and birth control, as Terry points out, in every instance, and and, and IVF also, too for all yeah. their and, and, and they're the ones who it's like they're mad at Kenny Paxton, but he he was just going with the base. He was giving them right. what they want, and he right. survived that impeachment vote in Texas because he gives the MAGA what it wants. So yeah. come on, Cruz, don't be so clueless. You know, you know what we all know what was going down on that on that uh, on that matter. All right, uh, so this is what they've come up with. This is the best they've come up. Even after all their little focus groups and after all their little polling, uh, this is what they've come up with. Um, they're saying, "I'm running." I'm paraphrasing. I'm running for a federal office. I'm running for a national office. I believe in states' rights on this issue. So whatever the states want to do, that's up. Now, personally, I'm against abortion. This is a Republican speaking. But uh, I can't control what Illinois does. I can't control this is uh, what Minnesota does, et cetera, and so forth. When I hear this, I said, this is utter freaking nonsense. Uh, I cannot believe they expect the public to buy this. Uh, but, you know, what they say about underestimating uh, the public. Anyway. Your thoughts on their distinction as candidates on a national level on this issue, as opposed to candidates on a state level? It's easy. They're lying. You know, they're that's that's just the that's just a, a campaign. Uh, you know, a, the campaign rhetoric. They're not telling the truth. They're lying. They, you know, they they supported the overturn of Roe v. Wade. They supported every single restriction imaginable. Um, on the books. Um, so they're, they're just not telling the truth. That's all there is to it. And they're, they're hoping that enough people won't pay close enough attention or will believe the fact that they're lying. I'll go back to my original. And I think the only honest question to put to them, and very few reporters do this because they don't, I don't know why they don't have the guts to do much follow-up, uh, but to say to them, if a, and give them examples of bills that might come to their desk. If a bill came to your desk to outlaw abortion um, from the moment of conception, would you sign it or would you veto it? I mean, that's really the that, that's the only line of questioning that's going to get to the bottom of that. So until till the press is willing to 
impress them. Um, they have a six-week ban on, uh, on do you support um, exceptions for a woman's health, a woman's life, rape and incest. That's the only way you're, and not allow them to talk around it, but to answer a yes or no question. If Congress sends you a bill that does X, Y, and Z, will you sign it or veto it? Otherwise, they're just going to continue to spit out the um, uh, the word salad that we get. And so, Ben, for all of your reporter friends, I wish Lynn Sweet, and I'm not calling out anyone in particular, but Lynn Sweet and uh, Jake Tapper and, uh, you know, all the others out there. If you're not asking that question, you're, you might, don't waste your time asking them what their view of abortion is. If, if you're not willing to approach it that way, then shut up, really. That's that funny. is, ladies and gentlemen, vintage Terry Cosgrove. Just shut up. Uh, while saying he's not calling them out. He names them. He I'm literally sorry. calls them out. <laughs> Vincent. Jake, Jake I could go on with all of them. I'm sorry. I, I like Jake Camper and Lynn Sweet I've known for 40 years. I admire her and respect her. But uh, that's because her name was the first one to, that came to mind. But that's what they need to do. And if they don't do that, then they're not doing their job. Excuse me. <laughs> and, uh, and we're never going to get an honest answer. So they're betraying the public. It's the same way of doing the two sides. You know, there's okay. the there's the pro-choice side, there's the anti-choice side, this equal kind of time. There, you know, the two sides are equal. No, they're not. No, they're not. We're not the ones out there saying that women should die uh, from carrying a pregnancy to term. We're not the ones that are, you know, cutting off, um, you know, funding for women and infant children feeding period. You know, the other thing, Ben, that I want to mention the hypocrisy of all of this is they'll say, well, we think the states to decide on one hand, the Supreme Court and the, and the Nikki Haley's of the world. And then they turn around and they support laws that prevent people from voting. They support every single voter suppression law, whether it's not allowing uh, drop boxes like in Wisconsin, whether it's not allowing um, early voting, um, same day voting, whether it's preventing people from registering to vote, when it's preventing, when it's, you know, getting rid of polling places so people have to stand in line for five hours. So I'm really sick. And, you know, again, it's all lies. They don't want people to have um, to have a say. So they don't want the states to, to do that. And we saw it in perfect living color in Ohio. What did they do? <laughs> in last August, they tried to pass uh, a statewide referendum to raise the threshold uh, to, to amend the Constitution from 50 to 60 percent. That failed. Then they went ahead and they changed the language to make it more hostile to the pro-choice side. And then they made up all these lies about the uh, about what the constitutional amendment would do. Um, they had everyone behind them and um, Uline gave them $25 million uh, for it all. And they lost by 13%. They did the same thing in Wisconsin with the Supreme Court race. So um, so it's a matter of, you just can't, they don't, they want to, they, they are anti-democratic with a small D. Uh, they want to stop people from voting. They want to stop people from having a say in their government and in their elections. And they basically want to put people in jail who disagree with them and in some cases advocate executing them. That's where we're at. That's what this election is about uh, come November, regardless of any past mistakes people might have made in their voting choices. All right. I want to um, get at something that we've just uh, alluded to a couple of times. I'd love to hear your riff on this. Uh, and uh, I've been <laughs> this is about frustration of mine uh, since I became uh, since I started following politics in the in the 70s, uh, really obsessively following it. Uh, and and that is, I know, think about that. That's a long time to have been following politics and remember most of the stuff. God, stuff that clutters my brain. But uh, uh, politics, basketball, and movies, my life, ladies and gentlemen. Well, anyway, all right. Speaking of basketball, and I'll catch you <laughs> on the other two. <laughs> As you will know. know. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know anything about basketball. All right. So the false equivalency issue, uh, and it's really like a – a mainstream uh, thing. Uh, I, I've i been watching it in play with liberal columnists and liberal uh, uh, pundits, etc. my whole life. Uh, a comp compulsion to like cast aspersions on both sides 
as though, again, somebody who, like Terry Cosgrove, is in the same boat as someone like uh, aforementioned Scheidler, who I, I know nobody listening to the show remembers. He, he passed on vehemently anti-choice, to put it mildly. Uh, got a front page right up in the reader. My beloved Chicago reader gave him a front page, very sympathetic article way back when, showing again, you know, well, we're some the left. The left is always nice. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> there, you'll never see a sympathetic article anywhere on the right for anybody. Right? But the left is like, oh, we're going to be nice. We're going to get to know this guy. OK, uh, so your thoughts on the whole fall? Yeah, well, I think I think what we need is a perspective here. The media sat quietly and said absolutely next to nothing. I don't want to say nothing because I didn't read every single story that was ever written. But when they cut off Medicaid funding, they didn't call that radical. They didn't call that, uh, they, they accepted it. Uh, when, they, when they put into place restrictions that don't make any exceptions for rape and incest, they didn't call it radical. They didn't, you know, when they, parental notice, the same thing. So I can list all of the restrictions, waiting periods, misinformed consent. The media just reported it all as if it was normal somehow. Then we come along in the pro-choice movement, and I say this all the time, people want to say, oh, it's such an amazing job. Look at all the advancements. No, we didn't make any advancements. All we have done in Illinois is take away all the radical, crazy stuff that they did. What did we do? We restored Medicaid funding for low-income women. All of a sudden, when they put that into place, it wasn't radical. But now that we're trying to restore it to, to the way it was, um, all of a sudden we're we're seen as the as the the radical element. When we tried to take away 24 or 48 hour waiting periods, forcing women who live in rural areas who punch time clocks at a, at a factory having to take two days off of work uh, to take a pill that's safer than an Advil. All of a sudden, we're the people who are extreme and we're the radicals. And all we're doing is taking away a restriction that was put on 30 years ago by the Illinois General Assembly. So I could go on and on. So my point is, it's not even really two-sided. They give The media gives them a pass and holds us to a higher standard. And I use this whole six-week heartbeat bill. I am so sick and tired of hearing people um, I won't name any names now because I don't want to get anyone in trouble, Andrea Mitchell. Um, referring to it as a heartbeat bill. Heartbeat bill is a right-wing anti-abortion terminology. At six weeks of pregnancy, there is no heart. There is no heartbeat. What there is is there are cells in the fetus that have cardiac activity. There is not a heartbeat there. There's not, there's, there, it's six weeks. A lot of women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks, much less that there's a heart beating. And so that's so, so that's another example how how people just take the the uh, the propaganda of the anti-abortion movement and they just fold it right into their so-called objective coverage. It happens all the time in the media. Uh, so um, yeah, it's really um, it's really disgusting. I mean, I don't. You know, I I love the fact that we have a uh, that we have a free press in this country, and I just think they could do a lot better job of of holding. It's the same thing going back to my original statement about getting Trump and Nikki Haley to tell the truth. You're not going to get it out of them unless you're going to ask them the kind of questions that I propose need to be asked. All right, so let me uh, defend the media on this last point. Okay, uh, and, and that right. is you, you, you could ask Nikki Haley and Donnie Trump a million times. You could be Jake Tapper or Lynn Sweet or any of the other national reporters. Ask them a million times. You're never going to get an honest, honest answer out of them. Uh, and uh, this is but why. Then, I mean, but then you can just finish my point. This is yeah. my. This is why I have mixed feelings about bringing uh, elected officials on as guests on my podcast. I like an honest. Uh, uh, exchange as honest as you can where people open up if the people who are elected officials are reluctant to open they hold back uh your beloved jb pritzker i saw this on the campaign trail we used to call him uh jb travolta on the issue of a progressive income tax he uh, supported it but he didn't want to state how much the rates would be 
And so I, we used to have field day with this one, T. We were laughing about how the, the lengths to which uh, Governor Pritzker, when he was candidate Pritzker, went to avoid directly answering a direct question. Okay? And yeah. you would have applauded him for that because you would have been upset at the reporters for asking him a hard question about his position on tax rates because you would have realized, as the astute political strategist you are, that that would hurt him in the general election. Terry Cosgrove understands the game of politics, ladies and gentlemen. So, so you want reporters to badger uh, Nikki Haley with questions over and over again after it's clear that she's ducking and dodging, uh, but you don't want them to do it to J.B. Pritzker. So at least be honest. No, I didn't. I didn't say you shouldn't do it to J.B. Pritzker. I think it, I think what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I think you had every right to ask him and to try to hold it to him, and he did a masterful job of avoiding it. And so don't blame, don't blame the inadequacy of the press to get an answer out of him. On, on. So here, no, but here's my point, Ben. If yeah. the national press would ask Nikki Haley at every single term, will you sign a bill that comes to your desk that um, that would outlaw abortion at concept, after conception, which is what all the anti-abortion movement wants, after a while, they can report. We asked her this very simple, easy question, yeah. and she refused to answer. After a while, that in itself is a statement about her position. Yeah. And so I, so I see that in the same way that you now talk about how J.B. Fisker refused to take a position on what the income tax rate should have been. That, that got out in the public that he was avoiding that question, and uh, and rightfully so. So I still think there is value. You don't give up and say, okay, they're not going to answer the question. Then, then I'll go back to my old adage with you. Do your job. I mean, <laughs> what's, the, what's the use of the press if you avoid every single question? <laughs> Ben, come back. I have to see. Oh my God. Do your job, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know how long? I mean, what's the use of being a reporter and uh, going to a press conference if you don't ask the questions (laughs) that that people need answers to? And it's not, you know, if and say, okay, well, they're not going to answer it. So why don't you just all stand there? And admit that they're never going to answer a question. What's the use of even attending? You know, I. That's uh, a great riff. I hate to this say. How, I, this is what I did at Personal Pack. You know, that's why um, Eric Zorn was so upset with me about my questionnaire. I said in my candidate questionnaire, your failure to respond to this questionnaire means you're 100% opposed to the positions taken by Personal Pack. It's yeah. said at the top of the questionnaire, the bottom of the questionnaire, in between, and in the cover letter, bolded and underlined. And when they didn't return it, guess what? We held them responsible. And, and that's we based our communication with voters based on their lack of an answer saying, because I knew they were lying. Yeah. You know, I, no, I I, that- I'm with you. I, at the risk I always reluctant to tell uh, Terry he's right because that just kind of enables him. No, uh, but uh, <laughs> but you're right. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct on the uh, uh, on the way you handled uh, your your voters uh, your survey of politicians. Uh, you can't have a two way pol- politicians. You can't like <laughs> try to pretend you're for. Uh, abortion rights, but not answer the abortion rights survey. Okay, well, I and it says on the survey that if you don't answer this, you know yeah. we're we're not going to endorse you. We're going to say you're anti-choice, and yeah. it's fair is fair. Like, and you, you know, know you people start stepping up and answering it. You know that it was because people, some people were just lazy, and then they realized that they. But the, but no, nah, the you think it was laziness, or I think it's stuck. No, some people, some people got yeah. angry and said, I have to fill this out every two years. And my response was, well, if you don't want to fill it out, don't run for office. What's so hard? Yes and no questions. It took 30 seconds to answer it. Wait, and, time out. They actually complained that they. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, still, they still do. Yeah, oh, yeah. my Lord. Oh, they're so busy. They're so important. Are you kidding? Oh, oh, God. Actually, some type of surveys are harder than the tangent with the tangent. I get those. Yeah, mine was easy. What 30 questions, you know, either you're either you're pro-choice or you're not, either you yeah. believe in access or you don't. You know, let's let's just cut to the chase. Listen, back to your one of your original comments. I actually have more I'm gonna put the word respect in quotes because it's not exact 
four right wingers that actually come out and say um, that I believe that abortion should be outlawed in all circumstances. They're being honest. And, yeah. and for me, let the voters decide then if they want to vote for someone who holds that view. But even those guys, even those people, they, they back off. I, oh, no, because they're scared. Oh, boy, who ran for Supreme Court in Lake County. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, he ran... Uh, Oh, just like oh, a rabbit. Mark Curran. Mark Curran. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Uh, the the former. Uh, he, didn't, he really didn't back off then. Well, know. he 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 said because the issue was this was a guy. I mean, all right, we're gonna right, relitigate I, this yeah. one. We're gonna relitigate everything. Yeah. Uh, well, he but, tried to use judicial temperament. Yeah, he goes, I can't it. answer this question. But he he didn't really back off on his position. Yeah. Well, he was suddenly he did like. Listen, here's the issue. If you if your position is that uh, abortion is murder and you're running for judge, yeah. if your position is abortion is murder, then you have to treat it like murder. There's no like, well, I'll take it case by case. No, your position is that this is murder. That's your position. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that you're going to go after people who get an abortion with the fullest extent of the law. So don't back off on it because you realize it's that's a kiss of death in Lake County. He still got how many percent of the vote in Lake yeah. County? I know. Let's not yeah. relitigate that one. All right, uh, but uh, you know, actually, you're right. I did a, uh, about nine months ago. I did a one and a half hour interview with him for Catholic Radio. Okay, and, and he was stunned that I accepted it, and um, and I tried to pin him down on whether he supported um, abortion in cases of rape and incest, and he would not answer the question. And I kept going at. Add it, add it, coming back to it and coming, saying, why are you afraid to answer it? So then I said on this radio program, I said, okay, I'll take that as, as, as a no. You don't support access to abortion in cases of rape and incest. And he didn't respond. He, did, he, he had to let it go because, uh, because it's, it's, he, he didn't want to answer it. And um, it's, so it's, I'll, send you a, I'll, I'll send you a link to it, actually. Go ahead. All right, it's too much. Thank. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) At the end, he goes, "Oh, it's your show." (laughs) Oh, that's uh, yeah. With five minutes to go, clean it up. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're actually uh, almost done. I will ask for a a local update. We've been talking on the national level because it's it's the. I mean, obviously, twenty twenty four is a big year for national. Uh, But uh, usually, when you come on the show, we sort of uh, do a summary of what's going on in the state of Illinois. So. Uh, my guess is that not a whole lot is going on in this particular issue in the state of Illinois right now. If I'm wrong, correct me and take it away. Well, the, uh, you know, the Peter Breen went to a right wing judge and got the, uh, got the, uh, the fake clinic, uh, you know, where they lie to women when they go into so-called crisis pregnancy centers, um, to a uh, to a judge and that, that bill, which was passed in the general assembly is now, um, is now done because the attorney general had to come to an agreement that was actually better than if we let it go. So I won't go there. But otherwise, yeah, on the there's you know because the anti-choicers continue to introduce more restrictions and threaten doctors and threaten patients. The Illinois General Assembly is always looking at ways in order to increasingly protect women and, and providers. And, you know, there's bills, uh, there's, all, there's all kinds of bills that are being introduced. And it, a lot of it has to do with, the, with online, protecting online information. Uh, there was a, I guess there was a way that the state police could have, um, could have tracked women that were coming across the state line to, uh, to Illinois where there are abortion clinics and that. So now it is illegal for that information to be shared anywhere. So there's all kinds of um, there's all kinds of updates to the law that are needed as the anti-choice movement gets more and more aggressive in how they're trying to prosecute women and doctors, prevent women from uh, from going across the border, uh, you know, just in all kinds of ways. In this Smith of Pristone case in front of the Supreme Court, I mean, if they don't know, right now, over half the abortions in the country are being done with a pill. Um, and if they limit access to that in uh, any way, which is through not allowing it through telemedicine, not allowing it through the mail, that is really going to hurt um, access, especially in red states, 
where uh, where that's the really the only uh, the only access that some women have in red states. And of course, there will be penalties attached to all of that eventually, and uh, no doubt the death penalty. So there's a lot on the horizon that we have to keep. Uh, again, allowing that if the Supreme Court takes away um, Mifepristone. Um, Again, allowing the states to do the, to to decide. Well, Illinois already decided. Now you're going to take away uh, a the safest possible way to terminate a pregnancy, which is the abortion pill, safer than an Advil or a Tylenol. Uh, again, a lie. You know, they're lying, saying, "Well, we think the state should make up. You know, should make these decisions through their locally elected officials." A lie. They don't believe that. Really, they. It's a good talking point. Yeah. No, they don't believe it. That is for certain. All right, we're going to close it down with something completely off topic. And I'm just curious as to Terry's view on this. This has nothing to do with the issues of extreme importance that we've been talking about. Uh, and that is uh, Terry's life as a f- f- movie critic. Uh, he is an obsessive moviegoer, loves movies, uh, pro- probably as much as I do. Uh, and we bumped into each other uh, the other day at a, at a movie theater uh, we, we had just seen Maestro, uh, mm-hmm. the Bradley Cooper flick about Leonard Bernstein. Uh, I had a position that I took in the theater that has simply, since uh, become, uh, I've a- anchored even greater uh, since then. I believe in it really strongly uh, as much as I enjoyed segments of that movie, I must confess, particularly the music part. Uh, do you, what's your overall view? Two weeks later, of Maestro, do you t- urge two thumbs up and urge people to see it or not? Go. Yes, I would. I would really encourage people to see it. Um, I tell you, the the longer I get away from it, the more haunting it is. Then it was one of those things that usually after a movie, like after I saw the killer, the killing of the flower moon, the killings of the flower moon, I like right away I walked out of the theater and it was just it stuck with me for a long time. This was kind of the opposite. A day or two went by, and even now when I talk about it, it the, his whole life was so unnerving for me. And I don't know if other people had this reaction. I mean, you could, you know, between the brilliance, his, uh, you know, the way he, he had to live his life, um, uh, did he suffer from depression and mental illness? Um, I mean, all of it, it was such a complicated um I, I just saw him as a really tortured uh, person. What did you, what was your takeaway on well, that? Um, killers of the flower moon. I, I, tr- I stumble over that one as well, but it's killers of the flower yes. moon. Great yeah. flick. Urge everyone to see it. Uh, I, um, as I, I have to say it was an effective movie because I thought about it a lot. Uh, that I'm talking now about Maestro. The Maestro right. Yeah. Uh, so I have to say uh, it is an effective movie because uh, Terry, if I, I'm still thinking about a movie two weeks after I've seen it, that is kudos to the movie makers. Right. They did a good job. That said, I thought it, it was like the emphasis on uh, his home life to uh, overlooking his musical life. I was disappointed in the man is a musical genius on so many levels. Uh, the, the, just the diversity of music that he wrote uh, and the scope of it, uh, I just wish more and more of that had been explored as opposed to like the melodrama of you know, with his wife. Et cetera, you, can et read, you can read all that stuff on the internet. I take the opposite <laughs> view. No, I really do. I, I, to me, the personal thing was much more interesting than, than, you know, the musical scores and, you know, uh, you know, it was nice to be reminded, um, uh, about some of the stuff that he did that I had forgotten about, like West Side Story. Um, he wrote West Side Story with Stephen Sondheim, uh, the two of the greatest minds musically I know, I know. of the 20th century, and they—it's in passing. It's like one sentence, and I yet know. I'm watching his wife jump into a swimming pool. I'm like, what do you? I want to know about Sondheim. You leave Carrie Mulligan alone. <laughs> I would watch her read a phone book, even though we couldn't find one these days. Um, yes. No, and it, no, no. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we have, we have a different take on it, but I think, you know, I don't know about you, but I love to see movies a second time. Have I you seen it a second time yet? 
No, no, but I want to, because the first time I'm kind of just absorbing what's coming at me. The second time is when I really, in real time, analyze it. I'm with you. I, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad it. critic that way. Because, it's coming on Netflix. So, I mean, most yeah, people are listening yeah. to this. You can, I urge, by the way, everybody to watch it. Okay. Just to yeah, draw your own opinion. Uh, and the, for me, the moments when uh, Cooper as Bernstein is directing the orchestra are just so they're so rewarding. I don't it know. What else yeah. 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 You I got mean, enough of that, you know, for that. <laughs> I wanted more. <laughs> All right. Very good. We'll leave it at that. Uh, I'm sure there's Ben and Terry go to the movies. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, man loves movies, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, so do I. Uh, all right, uh, Terry, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Talking to you as always. Also want to thank uh, producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. And one thing Terry, Leonard Bernstein, and I agree on. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always catch up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, check out columns written by Ben Jarofsky, and so much more. Like I said earlier, don't forget to read that top story about the CTA and opioids. It's a heart wrencher, and you're not going to want to miss it. So follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram, at Benny J Show. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms. <laughs>